Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. I invite you to go in your Bibles, take your copy of God's Word. Let's go together to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 And we enter into the closing section of the Sermon on the Mount where the Lord Jesus is bringing down his sermon to application. Every sermon needs to have a so what, so then what, so what is the response? How well do you pay attention to warnings? This sermon was written before the tornado warnings and the tornado went off last night in our area. So how many of you got the alert on your phone last night, warning? And how did you respond to that warning? Sometimes we respond well. And I was listening last night on, uh, I think it was Channel 7, and there was a newscaster just uh, going through, walking through the different events, and uh, Mark Hackle and other officials showed up there and I made it just to walk through and see what was taking place. And they made the comment, and I said, I think he's plagiarizing my sermon. I think he's stealing from my sermon because he was saying how people, they took notice of the warning and to their knowledge last night when I finally turned the TV off, there were no injuries and there was no loss of life. There was damage to homes and many trees down and wires down and all of the barricading, you know, for those in Armada, stay away, don't come visit, don't go where there's, you know, downed power lines, stay away. And so they were able to say the warning system worked. Now, how we heed the warning, sometimes it's an offense to us because, oh, I was going to be doing this and I had plans for that. And then this warning is interrupting whatever you fill in the blank of is happening in your life. Jesus finishes his sermon here in Matthew 7 with four warnings. And his disciples are trained listeners to hear the warnings of Jesus and respond to those warnings. But this is a message that is given that if someone even this morning says, you know, I'm not a disciple of Jesus Christ, but if the Spirit would open up your ears, your spiritual ears, that you might hear the warning from God, that you might run to Jesus for cover. This sermon that Jesus has given has provided a clear distinction between the culture of this world and the culture of God's kingdom. Disciples will hear and disciples will heed the voice of our king. Faithful preaching always calls listeners to a decision. It's not just to applaud the message. Oh, that was such a wonderful message of Jesus. He is such an amazing teacher. That's not the point of the preaching. It's for application. Moses in the Old Testament called Israel to choose life as his life comes to a close, Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19. And Moses says to the people, he says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you, this is what a faithful preacher does, not stories upon stories upon entertainment upon tickling of ears. No, what is before you today, beloved, is life and death. 
blessing and curse. Therefore, Moses the preacher says in his dying breaths leading to the end of his life, choose life that you and your offspring may live. Warning, warning, choose life, choose life. Joshua learned from Moses and in 24 verse 15, he's coming down to the end of his time as a leader in Israel. And he says, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods, little g, your father served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's a line drawn in the sand. And Joshua says, here's the line. I can't make this decision for you. Your fathers, they served false idols. They drug them with them out of Egypt. And the Lord killed an entire generation in the wilderness, save Joshua and Caleb. And he gave them into the promised land. And Joshua is saying, understand, you're living in a land of people who served worthless non-gods. You have to make the decision. Will you follow after defeated ways of the world or will you follow after the living God? And he's just echoing what Moses said, choose life that you and your offspring, your descendants, your children and your children's children will live. It's the only way to life. So Jesus is doing the very same thing. He's drawing a line in the sand, just like Moses did, just like Joshua did, just like Elijah did with the prophets of Baal. How long will you falter between two opinions, go limping between two opinions? A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, James says. How long will you live trying to live religious, accommodate some Christian aspects in your life, and live for this world and my schedule and what I have to do and what I like to do and I'm going and I'm doing and Jesus, you just, just hang out over here and be happy with that. And if you're not happy with that, well, look what you're losing here. Does that sound like a God that's worthy of worship? That's not the God revealed in Scripture. John Piper says it this way. He says, the goal of preaching is the glory of God reflected in the glad submission of the human heart. That's the two aspects, that God is glorified when we open our Bibles and that we submit to his word. Every person, every age, men and women, that God is glorified and we, I lift my hands up, God, I surrender all that I am. Have you said that? Are you saying that again this morning? Some I surrender. It doesn't work that way. It's insufficient. So a preacher can and must ask you the right questions, but they cannot answer them for you. I can show you the two ways, but I cannot choose the way for you. You must choose. The preacher warns, but you must respond, as Paul said in Colossians 1, 28, him we proclaim, 
warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So do you understand what we're doing every week when we simply come in and we say, now open your Bibles, put your eyes on the scripture, and we're going into the next section. What is pastor trying to do to us anyway? Present you faultless to Christ. Does that sound like an easy task? Will stories upon stories upon stories and entertainment, do you think that will accomplish presenting you faultless before the Lamb of God one day? Seven tips on marriage, 14 tips on parenting, three tips on whatever. No. Well, then what accomplishes this? Open your Bibles, put your eyes on the living Word of God, and humbly say, God, teach me your word today. Help me to, have you heard it enough times in the video with the voice of Richard Dixon? Hear, understand, and obey. Hear, understand, and obey. Oh, may God do this in and through us today. Matthew 7, we're going to pick up at verse 13, and Jesus says, enter. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. This is the word of the Lord. This morning, we're going to look at the first warning. So we're coming down to the close of this series. These four warnings, today we will just look at one warning. And Jesus is doing what would often be done by faithful teachers, and they would set before two, two ways, light, darkness. You know, this is, this is the two options that are before you. And, and this is what Jesus is doing, and the title of the message is simply this, the two ways. The two ways. And the warning is this, carefully consider the way you choose. Carefully consider the way you choose. One is the way of self-denial, and the other is the way of self-sufficiency, self-righteousness, self. It's self-centeredness. And that can be atheism, that can be any type of spiritualism, that can be religion, that can be anything because it's centered around, do you know what I've done? Do you know what I don't do? I don't do this. Remember the, the boards we had up last week of the things that I don't want people to do to me and the things that I do? And let me tell you what I've done and what I've done. We won't talk about what I've not done, but let me tell, focus on what I have done. It's all geared, centered around self. One way is the way of self-denial. The other way is a way of self-sufficiency. First of all, Jesus tells us, tells us about the entrance. The entrance to these ways, there's two gates. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow. And the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. The narrow gate is the first gate. You have to come through this gate low. Not everyone and not everything can pass through this straight gate. This gate demands the discernment that Jesus told us about in Matthew 7, 6. First five verses, don't be overzealous, judging everybody, finding faults with everyone, and your 
boosting out God, sitting in his seat, passing judgment everywhere you go. Verse six, you have to and I have to have discernment. We have to make right assessment and judgment. This is a discerning gate. It's a narrow gate. Have you ever flown? What happens when you have a carry-on bag and you get to the gate? If the person behind the gate, they look at you and they look at your bag and they suspect that your bag isn't going to fit, they ask you to do something. They have this nice little constructed square, very firm, not budging piece of furniture. And what do they tell you to do with your bag? Anyone? Put it in there. So if your bag tries to fit in that square container and it doesn't fit, they're happy to stick a tag on that bag, charge you a not-so-small fee, and that bag is going with the other big bags in a different compartment, not overhead. Have you ever been there when someone's just lost it because they've lost their luggage before and they're on a trip and you're not taking my bag? And the person says, well, here's the deal. You can check that bag. You can throw some things out away in that bag or you can stay here in this city with your bag. But if you're going and that bag is going, it has to fit in that box. That's a straight, narrow box. There's the dimensions of the, the, the bins in the cabin. And so we're not going to compromise saying, oh, you know, the, this lady was just having such a bad day. Go ahead. Only to be over people's heads. <clears throat> Can I get some help? Did you put your bag out there? Yeah, but it didn't fit. Uh, shock, shock. Think of that as Jesus says, this gate is, is a straight gate. It's a narrow gate. You just can't come through with everything. When we traveled to Mexico in a mission trip from Illinois, we got to the check-in gate. It was a different, you know, this is 20-some years ago. Flying was different. We got to the gate and they said, we can guarantee that you will get one of your bags. It's a full flight. We can guarantee you're gonna get one bag in Mexico City when you get off the plane. That threw us into a frenzy. <laughs> I have two bags packed. We can't get there with, well, I have my clothes and Ginger's clothes aren't there. They're on the other bag. So we immediately in uh, O'Hare Airport, Everybody's opening up their bags, reshuffling, throwing things away, sending things back in the trailer with our church van to say we didn't really have to have that. It was a madhouse with all of those people getting on that plane to go to Mexico City. Just mayhem. Jesus is saying this gate is straight. This gate is narrow. Entrance only comes through the knowledge of the truth. It comes through the gospel because the gospel reveals our problem and our greatest problem, we said it last Sunday and we say it kind of every Sunday, our main problem is sin. No matter, no matter what ethnicity you are, no matter how much you're worth, our problem, thanks to Adam, our father, all united, one humanity, we have, we have all sinned. We've all fallen short. Psalm 119 verse 130 says, the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. 
So the gospel tells us you have a problem, but the gospel also gives, here's your solution. Here's what is provided for you. Entrance through this gate comes through a humble submission to the word of God. And this is only made possible by the Holy Spirit. This isn't because if you are born again, if you are a Christian, it's not because you're smarter than your neighbor. It's not because you're smarter than somebody else in your family. It has everything to do with the glory of God. He opened your eyes. Listen to what it says in Acts 16 and verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by, by Paul. The Lord opened her heart that she would pay attention and listen to what Paul was preaching, that she would respond in faith. Entrance comes through repentance. It's a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of will, and a change of life. Do you remember what happened when Zacchaeus met Jesus? Zacchaeus, come on down out of that tree. I'm going to your house today. We're going to have some lunch together. And when he came to faith in Christ, Luke 19 and verse 8, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, you're in charge now, not me, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. My possessions aren't mine anymore, you're Lord, and I'm going to make what is right to the best of my ability. That's repentance. Entrance comes through faith in Christ, submitting to him as Lord. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, Peter preaching, and he said, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's no other name. There's no other Savior. It's only Jesus. Turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Acts. Just to the right, if you're there in Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas, they're on the mission trip serving the Lord, and then they're thrown in prison, they're beaten. That night is they're praying and singing to the Lord. Imagine that. Acts 16, 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and prisoners were listening to them. What is wrong with these guys? Why are they singing? And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and says, Now here's the question. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. It's the words of life. It's the words of salvation. 
And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. This is how God saves people. It's they heard the message. And I'm waiting to get to heaven to find out what was it that Paul and Silas were saying to this jailer when he was putting them in the stocks that night and he wasn't listening to them. They're just scum that he's responsible for and he's locking them up in the rat-infested, perverse dungeon and he goes off to bed, and then the earthquake happens, and he's ready to end his life because if he loses any prisoners that are under the sentence, that sentence is passed on him. So rather than be humiliated before the public and before his family under the Roman government, he's just going to end it all and say, that's it. There's no hope here. And Paul reaches out in mercy and says, don't, don't do that. We're here. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Here's what you must do if you've never been saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means to put your full weight down on Christ alone. It means to turn from your sin and trust in the Lord Jesus. And this is the only way through this narrow, narrow gate. This is a very unpopular message. You realize how unpopular your pastor is? You're like, yeah, we, we figured that out a long time ago. This message is not a popular message. The narrow gate. And Jesus isn't budging on the narrow gate. He's not saying, oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, you're a rich young ruler? Oh, you would do wonders for my entourage. Come on in. No way. It's only one way in. You have to come low. And there's the wide gate. The wide gate. Now, at the wide gate, Everything goes. Perhaps you've seen uh, people driving down the road. They leave something up, a dumpster. They leave the crane up on a truck. You see what happens when they go under the straight bridge, the narrow bridge? It just happened recently. It happens every now and then. You don't fit. And it all falls apart. Sometimes the bridge comes down. Sometimes the bridge just stays. And everything falls apart on the ground. This gate is wide. Everything goes. Come on in. No trouble. No discrimination. Bring everything, every idea, everything you hold on to, every desire. There's no discernment needed, no change needed. Come on in the gate. That's the wide gate. The wide gate allows for every man to do that which is right in his own eyes. Moses warned about that in Deuteronomy 12. In Judges, at the end, the final verses in Judges, it's a downward spiral when everyone is doing that which is right in his own eyes. Oh, if they could see the United States of America and our world today. Does that not describe the land we live in? Just do whatever you want. What is the saying? You be you. The wide gate scorns the narrow gate. Look at the narrow gate. <laughs> asking people to give up their life. Asking people to repent. Asking people to call sin, sin. <laughs> you know, it's 2021. 
this wide, broad gate celebrates every opinion, every lifestyle, every belief that is opposed to God, his word, and his church. Come on, bring it all. It's a wide gate. Everybody is welcome as is, no change needed. The wide gate mocks the belief that God is transcendent and that he is exclusively worthy of our worship and love and obedience. One way, are you kidding me? That's so outdated. Your message is so lame. It's so exclusive. But where does the message come from? Proverbs 12 and verse 15 says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man listens to advice. Can you take that verse and say, so based upon this scripture, am I a fool or am I wise? Who do you listen to for advice? Do you surround yourself with people when you ask them questions, they, they do this? Hmm, let me think about that. And they start looking in this book to give you an answer that has some substance? Or do you just have people around you that, well, you know, I always, and away they go with every opinion and every belief. I've, had, I've actually had people say, you know, every time you talk to pastor and you get counsel, ah, he's always going to scripture. I don't take that as a slam bluffed. Huh. Newsflash, this just in. There's two ways for all people. And we see there's an entrance, it's a narrow and a wide gate, and then we see the journey. The journey, there's two paths here. One is easy and the other is difficult. There's two paths. So Jesus, look, looking through the entrance, now look at the pathways behind these entrances, behind these gates. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard, verse 14 says, that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So there's the easy way. And Jesus talks about this, this broad way. Ever had a street you know of named Broadway, right? Broadway. It's a wide way. This is a, a roomy way is really better than the easy way because it's not true that the broad way is an easy way and in, in, in that, that there's no trouble on that way. No, there's trouble on that way. Those who are on the wide way, they go through trouble as well. Difficulties in marriage, difficulties in career, in thoughts, in perspective. There's difficulty everywhere, but this way is roomy. It's filled with much confusion. It appears to be easy for a few main reasons. One, there's no hedge. You can get on this way, and you can get off that way, and there's just no hedge holding you in. You can come on here seeking for fame, fortune, happiness at will. This is the wide, the broad way. There's a lot of room here for moral relativism, for those who are like, no judgment here. This is the way of the open-minded. Oh, we're so open-minded. We just tolerate everyone except one group of people that say that Jesus is the only way. We don't tolerate them. We won't put up with them. We won't listen to them. We'll silence them. Isn't a fence in a yard a hassle? A fence is kind of annoying. 
I have a yard. Kind of has a half a fence. I needed a fence on the other side when a dog just came out of nowhere and nearly ate our little dog. You're like, ah, fence, you know, you got to trim around it. You got to take care of it, sand it, paint it, pay for it. Got to do a survey if you're going to put one out there. But if you live next to a dangerous road, if you live next to a dangerous animal, if you care about your little pets or your little kids, what are you going to do? You're going to put a fence out there. I don't want everything just coming in the yard and out of the yard at, yeah, thank you very much, and gone. I need a fence. Maybe you've been on M69 here lately. Well, I made the mistake this last week. I saw the little, you know, M19 orange thing, and I was like, oh, does that mean M19 is closed? The exit? Ginger, like, I don't think so. Okay. Our ways didn't tell us it was closed, so we carry on. It's all gone. There's just big vehicles, and there's no road there. I'm like, oh, man. So here's the trouble. They have concrete barriers all between you and the other side over there. There's the exit for Richmond right there. I want to be over there, but my Nissan isn't going to make it over the concrete barriers and through the ditch past the vehicles, the workers, another concrete barrier, and to the exit. So what did I have to do? I was singing like Paul and Silas on the way to the next exit, going a little off-roading across that. Why? Because it's restricted. Why? Because they don't like me. That's why. No, that's not true. They actually value the project that's going on and the lives of the people, the men and the women that are working out there. And so they know there could tend to be guys like me and other people like me that just, I really have to be down there for that appointment. And if it's not all barricaded and the traffic isn't really moving that fast, you'll see people just dart across. There it is. I see a way and I'm going to get over there. And so they put a concrete barrier and they say, you can't do that. It's a narrow, restricted way. You can't come in and off this road that's why it's generally called a freeway. It's free from obstruction because you're limited. You're, you're reduced to, you have to stay here, this direction only. Why? It's safety for those workers. The project can continue without people with little sense, shall we say, doing whatever they want to do whenever they want to do. And isn't that interesting? I don't know what the belief is of all the engineers and all the road construction crew and what they believe spiritually, but aren't they probably thankful for those concrete barriers? Do we not recognize the need when you're driving 55 miles an hour this way, east, and there's semi-tractor, you know, going, going west on the other side? Are you complaining at that moment about a concrete barrier? No, you're pretty glad there's a concrete barrier there in case somebody falls asleep or something happens. You don't want to meet that vehicle that close. But then people look at this message and they say, let's go the easy way. You know, almost all philosophies coexist side by side on this easy way. False teachers are right at home on this broad way. Sound doctrine that is according to the scriptures, it is and it always has been and will be rejected on the easy, broad way. When Paul preached in Athens, 
He brought the gospel to a city that was, they were devoted to philosophy. They were devoted to hearing new ideas and thinking about those ideas. And in Acts chapter 17, um, we're right there. I think if you're still at Acts 16, just a page over. Acts 17, Paul brings his message down to application. A point, calls for decision. Acts 17, verse 30. He says this, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. You have to admit I'm wrong. Verse 31, because he has fixed a day on which he will, uh uh-oh, judge the world in righteousness. Who does he think he is? Does he know who I am? Who is this guy coming in here? This Jewish man, what'd you say his name was? Saul, Paul, whatever. And he's telling us that there is gonna be a coming judgment and it's gonna be judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Why should we listen to you? Because the one I'm telling you about, Paul is saying, is alive. They crucified him, he died, was buried, and he rose again, and he will judge you. Yeah, but wasn't he the one who said, judge not that you be not judged? Better rightly understand that. Verse uh, 32, now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some, do what they do today, mocked. (laughs) What What a, what a, cuckoo, he's nuts. Others said, We'll hear you again about this later. Procrastinate. But some men joined him and believed. That's the key. Every sermon. Some people hear the sermon, and whether they ever do it, you know, out loud or, or give way to it, oh, that's, that's ridiculous. I don't, I'm not buying this. Rarely does that ever happen where somebody gets up and they, ah, you know, my family member drug me in this place and you're telling me this, I'm out of here. This is, this is foolishness. Rarely does that ever happen. Often people will say, you know what, that's interesting. I kind of like that. Maybe I like the music. I like the people. That's interesting. I'm going to think about that maybe next Sunday. Maybe next Sunday I'll, I'll give that some thought. Maybe I'll deal with this this Jesus of Nazareth. Maybe I'll deal with that sometime down the road. But when the message is given, beloved, this is the joy. There is always when the seed is cast, there are some who say, he's talking to me. He's telling me I'm going to stand before a God who's going to judge me. And he's made a payment for me. He's made a way in Jesus for me. And I haven't received that. And I need to turn from my sin and trust in the Lord Jesus right now. I can't even wait. That's what happens all the time. Some people reject it. Some people procrastinate. And some people say, here I am. Lord Jesus, I give you everything. Take me, take me, all of me. Right here, right now. And he does. Jesus says, yes, there's an easy way. There's also a hard way. This way is a restricted way. It's a difficult way. This way requires discernment and it requires fortitude. Jesus clearly and boldly declared the high cost of following him. 
Jesus had nothing to do with what we call now the bait and switch, where here's the, here's the advertisement and it looks so good. Oh, that we just sold out of that one. But we have this other one over here. I'm like, wait a second. This one was $20. That one's $40. Yeah, but we're out of that one. And this one really is much nicer. Bait and switch. Jesus doesn't do that. He was bold. He just declared. Luke 14, 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned he turned and said to them, I'm so glad I have a big crowd following me. That means I'm finally validated and this is amazing and I'm a mega leader. No. My Bible doesn't say that. You're right. 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, that's pretty steep. Oh, and one more. Yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation on it and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. What king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and ask him for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. That's a straight gate. That's a narrow way. And Jesus doesn't give any room to say, okay, you want to have your children in front of me? Okay. You want to have your hobbies in front of me? Oh, okay. Oh, you want to have your career in front of me? Oh, okay. That's fine. Oh, more time for your marriage and camping in a way. Okay. After all, you really love camping. You really love whatever. Fill in the blank. And repeatedly living through life and and Jesus is where in, in, your, in your scope of priorities? This is, a, this is a narrow. This is a restricted. This is a difficult way. This isn't attractive to people to say, oh, yeah, that, that's the way I want to choose. And he's not saying that we're to be hateful to our spouses or children or parents. But the reality is, if you follow Jesus, there will be times when those who are not believers will call you and and they will say to you as a believer, I thought you loved me. I do love you. Then don't tell me I'm wrong as I refuse marriage and I just live with somebody. Don't tell me I'm wrong when I believe, whether it be homosexuality or anything else, I do what I want to do and you can't tell me, don't judge me, don't judge me. I thought you loved me. I think you hate me, but I don't hate you. I absolutely love you, and I'm giving you a warning. And the word of God gives us a warning, and Jesus gives a warning, and then he lays down his life for those who have been warned to run to him, Psalm 91, for refuge. Psalm 91, that beautiful imagery of the storm falling on that mother hen and her life is spent, her life is taken, is, 
is stamped out by the storm and her little ones go free. And Jesus is saying the storm is coming of God's judgment. You need to come to me. You need to abide under the shadow of my wing and I will take God's judgment upon me for you. And if you don't come to him, then God's judgment will righteously fall upon you, all of it. Your sin, my sin, it has to be paid for. Two options. You pay for it forever. Or you plead the blood. Jesus paid in full. Amen? So this is a, this is a narrow way. It, demand, it demands a firm grasp on sound doctrine. The first Christians, Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and a fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. They were devoted to it. You didn't have to twist their arm. They were like, I've got to get there. I've got to, I've got to get under the teaching. There's a lot I don't know. I need to learn. So they gathered. Paul warned in Acts 20, the Ephesian elders, this is a passage we're very familiar with as a church. And this is the last time that they're together and he calls for them and he's on his way to die. In verse 26 of Acts 20, he says, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Elders, listen, care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Do you, do, you think, do you think it's my church? You think it's Russ's church, our church? It's not our church. It's his church, and we're made overseers in his church. It's his. This is what Paul is saying to these Ephesian elders. Verse 29, and I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Verse 30, and from... Among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, elders, listen, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Warning, warning, warning with tears. And now I commend you to God and the word of, to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among those, all those who are sanctified. Two ministries prior to this one that I've been involved in, that's the sermon that I preached to both those ministries. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. I'm leaving. God isn't going anywhere. And I commend you to God and the word of his grace, and he is able to build you up. He is able. Paul warned Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, you, you, you hear the weight there? Timothy, young man, God's watching you. Jesus is watching you. Judgment is coming. His kingdom is come, coming. So, hey, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but will have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Anybody heard of this? 
and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths as for you. You hear the two ways? There's that way. Just make people laugh. Just give people a, you know, a real shot in the arm for the next week. And then there's you, Timothy, verse 5. As for you, always be sober-minded, enduring suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. That's a heavy challenge. Jude sounded the clarion call to stand strong in his brief letter right before the book of Revelation. Verse 3, he said, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. You understand, we're, we're not inventing anything new. I'm not in my office through the week trying to think of something clever, to, to think of something new that's never been said before, to try to really impress you. And then if I impress you, then that will, that will bring bigger crowds and, and more influence and no. Here's the faith. It's been handed down, and here's what you have to do. You have to fight for the faith. Contend for the faith. Verse 4, for certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. At, usually you find at the core of false teaching, sexual perversion, and it just is completely opposite of Jesus Christ. Although they often use his name. We're coming to that a little bit later in Matthew 7. The journey is as difficult as the entrance. So then if we're thinking, they're like, well, why would anyone want to go on this way? Why would anybody go on this way? Why would you follow Christ? That is the right question. That is the question that you want to think through. Who is this Jesus? And if you've been here long enough, that was the first message series that I preached in 2006. Who is Jesus Christ? If we're going to have anything in common, if we're going to accomplish anything worthwhile, then we have to be together and like-minded on who is Jesus Christ. That's the right question to ask. What is his claim on my life? And is he who he claimed to be? Because he claimed John 14, 6 to be the way, the truth, and the life. And he made the claim that no one comes to the Father except through me. That's a big claim. So the question is not, did he make the claim? The question is, who is he? And can he back this claim up? And how have I responded to him? Is there anyone greater? Is there anyone more worthy of my worship? Is there anyone else who's conquered the grave? That millions have taken their refuge in the Son of God, the Son of Man, Jesus Messiah, but that's good for millions, but what about you? Where are you taking refuge today? There's an entrance that Jesus tells us about. There's a narrow and a wide gate. There's a journey. There's an easy way. There's a hard way. And then he moves us into the companions. Let's talk about the companions. Number three, there's two crowds, two gates, two paths, 
There's two crowds. Jesus is continuing. He's just drawing this line in the sand. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So there's the way of the many. Why is this way so crowded? The way of the many. This is a crowded way. Right? This is heavily populated. Why is it so crowded? Why are there so many people on this way that Jesus tells us about, the way of the many? Because it's natural. You're born on this way. It's just natural to an unredeemed person. It requires no change. John 3, verse 19, and this is the judgment, that light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. It's God working through me. Paul wrote Galatians 2.20. The way of the many is, it's crowded because it's just natural. It's the way of darkness. There's no resistance here. It's comfortable to the rebellious person. They just want to do whatever. They're just, you know, sinful, rebellious. But it's also comfortable to the self-righteous, the really, really religious person. They can coexist on this wide way. And there's a lot of people there. But there's the way of the few. This way is often less populated. And at times it can seem a bit lonely until you remember there's one who's gone this way before me and there's one who walks this way with me. And I'm never alone. He takes each step with me. Back to Psalm 91, he goes through the fire with me. He doesn't keep me from the fire. He goes through the fire with me. And this is the way of the few. On this way, Jesus was betrayed Jesus was forsaken by all, and he was crucified. Why? So that we who are on the way of the few will never be forsaken. Never be ultimately forsaken. J.C. Ryle, he says it this way. He says, the true flock of Christ has always been small. It must not move us to find that we are reckoned singular and peculiar and bigoted and narrow-minded. This is the narrow way. Surely it is better to enter life eternal with a few than go to destruction with a great company. Surely it is better to enter into life eternal with a few than go to destruction with a great company. Oh, listen, Jesus will save many, but the number is few proportionally. There's always a remnant in Luke 13, Jesus was asked a question about the number of how many are going to be saved. Luke 13, 22, and he went on his way through the towns and the villages teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. That's where he's going to die. And, he, and someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able Look at the description, though, in Revelation. 
Revelation 7, then you think, well, so just this small number, proportionally, where you work proportionally is probably a small number of believers. Where students go to school, probably proportionally, they're, they're outnumbered by those who don't follow Jesus and worship Jesus. But look at where it's all going, Revelation 7 and verse 9. And John says, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the foreign living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. This is where it's all going. So while you walk the path, and it seems to be on this path, there's, there's a, a really populated way over there, and it seems like a relatively small number following after Jesus. And you start thinking like Psalm 73, the Psalm of Asaph, and he, have I cleansed my hands in vain until he goes to the house of the Lord and he worships. And then he realized I'd almost slipped. I was on my way down and the Lord caught me and he established my feet on a rock. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's two destinations. This is where it's all going. And these destinations, these two destinations, there's two extremes. There's two extremes and the outcome could not be farther apart. Radically different outcomes. You ever been at the airport, standing at a gate and realized you're at the wrong gate? Let alone maybe in the wrong terminal? What am I doing here? Oh, they changed that. We didn't tell you? What? Yeah, you told me. now. What? Oh, you're at the wrong gate. Well, just get on that plane. Well, where's that plane going? Without my luggage? It's going to the wrong place. Jesus is taking his, his listeners and he's taking us. He says, look at the gate. Look through that gate. Look at the paths and look at the companions, the crowds on that path. But look beyond all that. Where's the destination? Where does it end up? It's extremely different outcomes. One way, he says, leads to destruction. Apolia, if you're familiar with the Pilgrim's Progress, the Apollyon, you know. Great book. If you haven't read Pilgrim's Progress, read Pilgrim's Progress. There's movies, books probably better. Written by John Bunyan. One way leads to destruction. That's waste, that's ruins, that's death. Picture the landscape after a storm. Did you see some of the pictures? Through Armada and just selectively some houses. If you think back to the tornado that went through Oklahoma or you think 
through Hurricane Katrina and other, and it just goes through and levels everything. In, and you look at it and you see a path of destruction. And you'll hear people say that on the news. There's just a path of destruction everywhere your eye can see. That's what Jesus is saying, warning. And for them to put that annoying announcement out on our phones last night was not because they didn't like us. If you hear the message and you think, I don't think the guy likes me. I think his tone is a little bit too intense. If it was your house that lost the entire top floor and your children were sleeping in that top floor in Armada last night, would you care about how somebody warned you? Or would you be thankful that they actually... You have to get your family to, to low ground, to safety, to shelter. Oh, I pray that when you hear sermons that God just takes and just does a makeover on me and my voice and my demeanor so that you are able to hear and receive this warning of love. Look at the destination. One ends in destruction. The psalmist describes this. This is the threshold psalm. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. That's one way. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This man who is blessed is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. His leaf also does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Oh, but there's a different man. Verse four, the wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. There's the end. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. It's exactly what Jesus is saying. One way leads to destruction. His hearers should have heard that and known. They knew Psalm 1. One way leads to life. And this life begins at the moment of conversion and it never ends. Jesus showed us the way. He opened it himself on our behalf. One way leads to destruction. One way leads to life. And so these precious words resound in our hearts to those who have believed. They're an invitation to those who have not believed. For God so loved the world that he, John 3, 16 says, he gave his only son. Do you think I can come close to the passion that God has that people would believe on his son that he gave for them? That whoever believes in him, here's the two outcomes, should not perish but instead have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. But I'm really religious but have you believed in the name of the only Son of God? This is a narrow gate. This is a narrow way, but it leads to life. 
And whoever, verse 36 says, believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Did you see the clouds in the sky last night? The heavy clouds, the pictures are out there. And God is giving all of this in creation to preach. You can't make it on your own. You can't go stand in a tornado and tell God anything. You can't stand in the middle of a hurricane. You can't stand in the middle of the Arctic snow and and carry on a conversation long with the God who breathed it all out of his mouth. And it's preaching to you. It's preaching to us. Confess Christ, and here is the way of abundant life, of resurrection life, of never-ending life. Have you believed in the name of the Son of God? And if you say, I can't believe in a God like that, understand the picture. The wrath of God is over you like a storm waiting to fall on you. And it's his mercy, the very mer- the God that you hate, the God that you despise, the God that you reject is the only thing between you and judgment. He is the one keeping you from hell. He is the one holding you, giving you another opportunity to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. And the very one that people say, I can't stand that God, is the very one they're using his breath to say that, and he's not giving them what they deserve Instead, he's giving them time. It's not because he's weak, Peter says. It's because he's merciful. He's long-suffering so that all will come to repentance. But you must repent. Listen to what John Stott says. He says, to to recapitulate, there are, according to Jesus, only two ways, hard and easy. There's no middle way. Entered by two gates, broad and narrow, there's no other gate. Trodden by two crowds, large and small, there's no neutral group. Ending in two destinations, destruction and life, there is no third alternative. That's what Jesus is placing before you and before me. So consider this warning. Which way are you on? The entrance, there's the narrow gate, there's the wide gate, there's a journey easy way, hard way, or the restricted way and the wide open, anything goes way. There's the companions. One way is filled with a lot. Crowds are many. The other way is few. Oh, but there's good companions on that way, I'll tell you this. I'm so thankful for the brothers and sisters in Christ I've walked through life with. Do you know what a joy is to be your pastor? Do you know what a joy it was to celebrate God's faithfulness last Sunday together? To see his hand of provision and blessing. See, you know, the babies in the congregation and life and VBS is happening this week. God, we're just saying, yeah, but we should get more families and there's more babies and there's more noise and there's more messes and smells and everything else. Yeah, that's the way it is. If you're a rancher, you want an empty barn? I didn't have to clean it. Yeah, because you got no cattle in there. Yeah, but they eat a lot. Yeah, but that's, you're just a ranch, not a rancher. You got to have cattle. Families and life and God's goodness. I just want to say it. It's a joy to walk through life being a companion with you. 
and all that God would add and bring. Praise his name. And where's the destination? There's only two. Life and destruction. Which road are you on? Which path are you on? A few questions for you to talk about today over lunch with someone or while we're setting up for VBS. Number one, why is it so difficult to enter at the narrow gate? Now, here's where you can think back and say, how was that so difficult for me? Or you're there right now and you're saying, why is this so difficult for me to take this step? I need to take this step. I know I need to take this step, but why? Why is it so difficult? Another question is this. How are you able to rightly discern the path you're on? Right now, what path are you on? Are you able to discern which path am I on right now? And considering Jesus' warning, what should your next step be? Maybe it's to follow him. Maybe it's to plug in and become a member here at Grace and say, I'm all in. Make this my church family. And see me, see Russ. Let us know at the Welcome Center. We'll help you take that next step. Let's stand together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. The entrance of your word gives light. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the cross. I thank you for your church. I thank you for your spirit. Lord, you've been so good to us and honestly, we do not deserve your blessing, Lord. But you bless us despite of our undeserving that you are worthy. So Father, I pray that you'll take your word today by your spirit and you apply it to every heart. I pray that we will hear, understand, and obey your word. We will hear and heed your warning and we will carry this warning out to others and do so in love, a sense of urgency, but always bathed in prayer and love. For Jesus' great name, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.